Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. As we we go to the Lord this morning in prayer, a few items I'd like to share with you. First off, Joanne Giddens is one who has been occasionally uh, attending our church. We'd see her every now and then. She'd bring her, her dog with her. And, um, and Tom and Mary were married at their home this past spring. And um, this week we lost Joanne. She was in the hospital with COVID, and then my understanding is they let her go home, and something happened. And uh, so uh, we lost her this week. And I know if you kind of chat with one another, it'll come to you who she was. And uh, um, I don't know if we will be involved in the service. Um, she was also involved up at Grow Church, but um, we, of course, are willing. And uh, just to so you know, to keep that family in your prayers. And then uh, we're rejoicing with Bruce and Glenna that they're going to do the member spotlight. Uh, the, um, this is a very special opportunity we have in our church to hear the phenomenal stories and backgrounds of people who, have, who are populating this, this congregation. And um, it's one of those things, I don't know why we didn't do it like 40 years ago when I was in the church. But um, in any event, uh, we're, we're grateful for that. And, um, we, we continue to pray for both of them. And we got a good report this week on Lucille Timon. And so she, in fact, she and Jack were going to be here this morning, but uh, apparently the, the rain kept them away. But uh, uh, we're, we're very glad because she has, she has gone through some tests and got a good report back. And then I uh, found out this week that um, Jeannie Morris, Brewster and Jeannie, who've been part of our church for a long time, Jeannie is has now uh, gone into hospice care. And um, we haven't been able to see them for some time. And um, I put in a call, I uh, haven't heard back yet, but uh, hope, to, hope to get to see them before too long. And uh, Gloria Dominic, who um, is, people say she's the youngest 80 year old they know. And uh, she had a mild stroke and um, is still recovering. And they're telling her she can't come to church, which makes her really mad. And, uh, but just to keep her in your prayer, she's going to be going into uh, an unrelated procedure this week. And, and uh, so it just sort of extends the time out that she can get back to normal, but uh, to keep her in your prayers. And then also on the national, international scene, when uh, Vladimir Putin musters 130-some thousand troops on the, on the border of Ukraine. I don't know why that's our fault, but apparently it is. And, uh, but we need to pray that the, the peace that has, been, that has been won by those men who fought and gave their lives in the Second World War, uh, that that peace might be maintained. So this is a very frightening time for our nation and for the nation of, of the Ukraine. Let's bow together in prayer.
Our Heavenly Father, we, we literally could be here all day in prayer, reaching out to you for those who are in need. And Lord, we, we do so in such a paltry manner. Our hearts are full and they overflow, but our, our lips are empty. We don't know quite what to say in the, in the face of the realities that, that we encounter with, with our lives and the, with the lives of others. And yet, Lord, so much of life is so full of joy. And then it, when it's punctuated by hardship or affliction, we, we somehow think that all of life is that way. Remind us, O oh Lord, of the gift that you have given to us, the great, loving, powerful gift that is the gift of your Son and his saving love. And Lord, may we, may we live into that love, may we live into that gift, and whatever it is that it may afflict us, Lord, may we maintain the hope that is ours because of your redemptive work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, we, we continue to pray for, for those of our people who, while not mentioned this morning, nevertheless have any number of challenges and, and struggles and strains and, and afflictions that, that beset them. Lord God, we've all got something. We've all got something that's bothering us, something that's it's hounding us, something that brings us fear in the, in the dark night of our souls. So Lord, I, I pray that you would give us faith in the, in the face of it all. That we might be a people that break through the fears and come forth with joy. Lord, we, we also pray for our nation's leadership how concerning it is that as one senator was quoted this past week, his job is to constantly argue with 99 others. Lord God, what, is, what has become of this great experiment in democracy, founded as it is upon the understanding of our inalienable rights that are given to us, not by government, but by you, Lord God, why is there so much to argue about when there is so much to celebrate? We pray for our leadership. We pray for particularly our own members, Rick and Ann Scott, as they do everything they can to bring love and, and to embody your presence in that body of the Senate. But we ask, O oh Lord, that that your peace might prevail, that the truth might prevail over all kinds of deception and lies. How disturbing it is that we have such a hard time trusting that which comes from our governing authorities. But Lord, give them truth and quiet them when they know that they are bounding on on untruth. Give them, O oh Lord, 
an awakening, a quickening of their conscience so that they might guide us and lead us as those that you have set aside for leadership in a manner that gives you glory and praise. We pray that also, Lord, for our state government as well as our local leadership. And we ask that we might be rightly submissive and yet when, when we must resist, Lord God, show us the way. May we be a people that recognize that, that ultimately you are Lord of all. You are King of Kings. And our ultimate allegiance is to you. And so, Lord, we, we pray for our participation in the body politic and in civic life. Lord, deploy us there. May we set aside our own cynicism even at such a time as this and labor to make things here as it is there. Hear us even now as we pray as your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I always love when we say that prayer and somebody out there is a trespasser rather than a debtor. <laughs> somebody has asked me about that and I said, well, you know, we're, we're white collar criminals. And uh, <laughs> so that's why we are debtors. And, uh, uh, but our, our debt is to God. We owe, we owe to him and to him alone all that we are and all that we have. And so we bring to him our tithes and offerings. Oh, the depths of the riches, the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways. How profound are his judgments, so high above our thoughts. And his pathways no man can trace. For from him and through The depths of the riches, the wind. 
magnificent are his ways. Who has been his advisor and who has counseled him? All he gives us who can repay. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forevermore. To him be glory forever. The wisdom of God, how immeasurable is His grace. How unfailing His kindness, so far removed His wrath. And His mercies are new each day. Father, words of life, Lord God, your Son gives us life. May the word that you give to us enliven us to live for you. Lord, we ask this even as we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior Christ. Well, the passage I'm going to share with you this morning has been the source of contention literally for 2,000 years. It was 
the course of the early church, in the course of the early church, they, they argued about the nature of Christ. Was he less than the Father? Did he have a will of his own? Could he actually disobey the Father? These are the kinds of questions that have, that have stumbled the church for hundreds of years. It wasn't until the, the ninth century that there was some real consensus that was arrived at. So as I was studying this week, I was feeling all kinds of intimidation. And in that intimidation, it, it, it took me back to a time when I was on the bus with the other, the other uh, players on the UCC, UCSB Gauchos, and we were heading down to Long Beach State. Long Beach was ranked seventh in the country. And uh, we were going down to play with them. And I was sitting next to a guy named Clarence Allen, and Clarence was out of Fresno. And he was telling me about Roscoe Pondexter, who was also out of Fresno. Roscoe was 6'8", weighed 245. He was the top high school scorer in California history, and they called him the Little Bull. <laughs> I remember riding on the bus just being scared the whole time. <laughs> and then at the game, I found out that I had every reason to be scared. The man was unbelievable. Not only was he after the season, not only was he drafted by the NF, uh, NBA, but he was drafted by the NFL. He was so big, so fast, so strong. And um, we lost. <laughs> but it was, it was in, in preparation for such an intimidating for such an intimidating encounter that I, somehow I, that, that memory came back to me this week as, as I was reading and preparing and, and I would read this and that and they all still disagree on this. So instead I, I just thought, you know, what I have to do is not preach theology, preach the word, preach the word and the people will People will hear according to the witness of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. That's my work. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. This is immediately after he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished, for just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he, gives, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge, so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. 
I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming indeed, it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that some life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have, gone, have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me and not my own. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So as I said, this is following the story of Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, where he is in the precincts of the temple itself. And there is a man there who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And he's been at the pool. And apparently there was this little story that an angel would trouble the water and then the first into the water gets healed. And Jesus, when he saw this man, saw how he was there and who knows just the condition that this man was in, but Jesus went up to him and asked him, do you want to be well? Well, his answer was rather revealing. He blamed the system. Well, there's nobody to put me in the water. When the water gets troubled, there's nobody to, to help me. It's systemic ableism that's going on here at the pool. I'm a victim. And Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. And he did. He got up and he picked up that upon which he was lying and he walked. And wouldn't you know, it was a Sabbath, it was Saturday. And the denominational authorities are just looking for something, anything to get Jesus with. And never mind that this man has been by that pool for virtually all of his life, Jesus heals him and then they wanna get Jesus because of this. And they bring that man in and they interrogate him right away. Who told you to carry that mat? And of course, he says, he says that Jesus did. And so they confront Jesus. They confront Jesus because this was done on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus didn't carry the mat, but he told the man to after healing him. And there's all kinds of justification for healing on the Sabbath. But... The Jews didn't care about that, even though there were all kinds of arguments going on among the, the rabbis. They didn't care about that. All they cared about was the fact that they thought ha they had Jesus at something here. 
And so they confronted him that he was healing on the Sabbath. They were using that as a way to try to kill him. And then Jesus says, my father is working, and so am I. My father doesn't stop working on the Sabbath, even though we have the Sabbath commandment, even though the Lord paused in the work of creation, he is now continuing to work, yes, even on the Sabbath, because what the Lord does, what God does, is bring life on the Sabbath. And so am I. And they think they've got him, because he is thereby declaring a, an equality with God. He's declaring that he is standing on the same, in the same footing as, as God. Even though he draws distinctions between himself and the Father, he makes this declaration that the two of them are essentially one, and that he does nothing without the prior will of the Father. And the will of the Father is his will, is Jesus' will. And so they, they hear this, and they believe they've got him. And so behind all of this is this question about authority. By what, on what basis does he say this? What makes him think he can, he can make this kind of statement? And Jesus refers to the fact that when he was baptized by John, John, who was the forerunner, pointed to Jesus, bore witness to Jesus as the Son. And at the baptism, that dove shows up and hovers on Jesus. So we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit itself on, on the Lord. And then, then there are the works that Jesus does, healing people. All of these attest to his identity. And then there are the scriptures themselves. All of these attest to his identity. And yet they cannot, they cannot understand at all what we have a hard time understanding. How can he be human with us and God, transcendent beyond us? How can this be? On what basis does Jesus make this outlandish claim? But they know that he is making this claim, and they, they are just putting this all together, and they're trying to do whatever they can to, however complex this is, they're going to try to use this as a means whereby they can, they can kill him, where they can put an end to his life. And the church has struggled with the same reality. How can Jesus be fully human? And how can be, he be at the same time fully God? How can he have a will of his own whereby he would be capable of sinning, capable of disobeying the Father, and at the same time be in perfect conformity with the will of the Father? How can this be? 
So the church has struggled with this. I remember my kids at the breakfast table before church one Sunday morning. Dad, how can Jesus be God and Jesus at the same time? I mean, certainly this whole notion of the understanding of what the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, how do we, how do we put that together? To which I told my kids, and the explanation that I make today is that somehow these two paradoxical realities, somehow we hold them together. That if we could explain God, it probably wouldn't be God. What makes us think that with our minds that we're capable of wrapping our minds around the reality of God? And as, as G.K. Chesterton put it, Christianity got over the difficulty of, of combining furious opposites by keeping them both and keeping them both furious. Strong, hard realities that are from our perspective, completely distinct. But the declaration is, and this is unpacked by the Gospel of John, that, that the two are one. That Jesus is fully human, not partially human, fully human as you and I are. And as it says in Hebrews, who endured temptation in every way, even as we do without sin. Fully human and fully God. And Jesus must be God because no mere human, no human alone could die for our sins. Only God can do that. And so these furious opposites have both been kept by the church and those opposites remain furious. I love G.K. Chesterton. And so that core affirmation of the church, that, that God is with us fully in the person of Christ, is this great reality that is, that is embodied by this passage. And even though a lot of modern scholarship, scholarship throughout the 20th century into today, would affirm that John was written late, I'm beginning to doubt it more and more. There is a body, a minority body of scholarship that believes that Jesus, pardon me, that, that, that the Gospel of John was written early, maybe within the first decade after the death. And when you look at the detail of John's, it doesn't speak to a, a, a later authorship, but an immediacy to the person of Christ and an observation and repeating what he said. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't contain the, the speeches of Jesus. They simply contain summaries of Jesus. But John here goes into great detail and contains the actual speeches, the, the sermons that, that Jesus declares. And so when Jesus says what he says, when he says, so am I, he is making a declaration that he is one with the Father. And this declaration of Jesus sets 
this faith apart from all faiths on the planet. Other religions, perfectly good things happen with them, but that is not the radical reality of what Christianity is. Christianity is not one amongst other religions. It stands unique and apart from. There's a radical nature about this faith that is rooted in the, the self-declaration of Jesus that, that he is God with us, that he's God, and that he can give life, and that he will be the one who judges in the end of time. It's stunning, a stunning reality. I shared this in October, and I'm going to share it again. It's C.S. Lewis. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, that Lewis says. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus did not intend for us to just think he was just a really good moral teacher. Oh, we have so much to learn from the teaching of Jesus. Well, of course we do. But the authority of Jesus is rooted in his relationship with the Father. And when he went to the cross and he died for you and me, he took our sin into himself. He took all the evil of the world into himself. He took all the fallenness of creation into himself and bore it all on the cross. And when he died, among his last words were that the Father had forsaken him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So God himself turn his back on his own son so that he could meet you and me face to face. And Christ was risen by God. And Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And Christ will one day meet us face to face. Jesus is our judge. 
Don't you love the fact that he understands? Don't, don't you love it that in his, the fullness of his humanity, he understands the fullness of our humanity and the brokenness and the frailties of our humanity? Isn't it wonderful to know that God took on human flesh, became one of us, and lived life with us and for us? And he gives life. Will you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord, we hear it, we read it, we don't understand it, and thank you that we don't. We must rely upon you. We must receive the gift of faith beyond that which we can conjure for ourselves. And when we do, O oh Lord, the light shines, the heavens open, and somehow our lives are flooded with the newness of life that is the gift that you promised to us. Thank you, O oh Lord, for the gift of your Son, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.